Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. It's, uh, it's your boy Ryan and Alex and Sam, and we're going to talk about this funny new idea the NBA had where they play basketball. In a bubble. In a bubble. Inside of a, an Inside eco of a giant bubble. Have Did you guys, guys ever see that show? There was a show on uh, CBS a while back that was like the concept of like a city that was in a bubble and like the my- mysterious bubble popped up. Did you guys ever watch that one? Nope. No. Well, no idea. That doesn't help me out then. I'll have to look it up to make my very niche jokes about it. Well, look, I was about to come at this with jokes about um, Paul Simon's uh, leadoff song from the album Graceland, Boy in the Bubble. So, you know, we could continue to make increasingly unhelpful pop culture references. Under the Dome is the, Under the show the I'm dome. thinking of. Under the Dome. It got pretty which, absurd. Which... Not a lot of people know this, but actually all of the games um, being played in the Orlando bubble are being played inside Spaceship Earth. So Hell yeah. They just like randomly throw on some, like, do some stuff to change the gravity. <laughs> I love that. Listen, Alex. I have been like, out on all you got of some these riffs. You got some Disney World riffs. Zero Disney World riffs. I have no references to make. Well, this is going to be a very disappointing podcast. Thing, that's all this Sorry, is going to be. We're going to be talking about the 2013 CBS show Under the Dome based on a Stephen King novel for an hour and relating how LeBron James and Anthony Davis are like the two main characters in the show. Cool. What they haven't been though is the main characters of the bubble. I think it's no. fair to say. Not at all. Like, I, if you told me LeBron isn't in the bubble yet, I'd believe you. I don't think he is. Is he? He totally is. Yeah. Ah, see, I, I, That's the thing. I wouldn't know. Sorry. He's yeah. not putting it out there. I only know so, like Myers Leonard's in there. Um, Rajon Rondo is in there and dissatisfied. Hurt? He's hurt. Yeah. Yep. That's about uh, it. Darius Baisley is in the bubble. Darius in there. He's a star. favorite. Yep. yep. He brought two pairs of shoes, according to one of his many funny tweets. Hey, that's good. Like, that to me, that says a lot about the uh, low maintenance that uh, Darius Baisley has. I agree. But is he, like, including basketball shoes in that? Like, is that's it my question. Is really one pair of basketball shoes and, like, some slides? Like, what is what is his situation? <laughs> Yeah, new I mean, that would got him probably... those new Omni lows, and he was like, "I'm good. This is what I need." <laughs> yeah, that would arguably be unsafe if he only had one or two pairs of basketball shoes in the bubble. But I feel like those are different. You know, like if you look at PJ Tucker, he brought like 700 pairs of shoes, right? And you know, he's not gonna wear all of those in like wearing basketball. Like those are just everyday shoes to him. I mean, I'm sure yeah. some of those are just shoes he brought because he wanted to, to keep him company like sure of course I mean, you can get lonely in the bubble situation yeah. yeah he was just like look i want to look at my white cement jordan threes like yep. i'm not gonna wear them i just want them to be near me 
Now, did you got you Pat, got... I was going to talk about Pat Bev and his. Did you see his white T-shirt setup? Oh yeah. No, I, yeah. I I actually. That's like the first thing I've ever heard about Pat Beverly and I or I've seen from Beverly and I actually was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, not in like, oh, he's a cool guy, but like, I don't know. I just found that to be like the way he approached the bubble to be endearing and I've never found Pat Beverly endearing before. So What were that's you going to bring up other than Pat Bev? That was someone that else's was, That was where I was going. I was going Pat Bev. Interesting. On the same I haven't been on the podcast for a while, but we're already in sync. Already in sync. <laughs> yeah. Um I think probably the best thing I've seen from the bubble is the Ben Simmons throwing the fish and obviously you know, I feel bad for the fish, you know, he did a bad job. But the Kevin O'Connor tweet that followed, did you guys see this? Yeah. Where he said Ben Simmons threw the fish back with his wrong, with the wrong hand. Like, yeah. that was <laughs> that was pretty top-notch stuff right there. Very, very on-brand for KOC. Yep. Uh, yeah, man. I'm so excited for Ben Simmons to, you know, finish, like, a two-decade career in the NBA. And... Like he's a multi-time all-star and he um, accepts his hall of fame, his hall of fame jacket with the wrong arm. And Kevin O'Connor is right there to let us know. About Kevin it. Right there. Yep. He'll be there. I feel confident in KOC to, to be there for us in that time. So oh, the, um, the Ben Simmons handedness watch is the <laughs> best beat in the NBA. Ben Simmons, he's never going to be able to play cornhole when he's retired. He's not going to be able to do any fun uh, old man. Well, he can't games. play cornhole now, right? Which is clearly um, going to be a cause of some consternation, given how much fun Darius Baisley seems to have playing cornhole. Man, that was that was a great video. I mean, the the fishing video with Darius Baisley is probably my favorite. Other than the Ben Simmons thing, is probably my favorite thing from the bubble so far. Like, just the amount of excitement that he had reeling in a fish. And, like, some guys, I see videos like that, and it seems very performative. And I just think Darius Baisley is just a goofy guy. And so I found that to be really funny from Darius. Um, also, another guy who arguably should be right-handed as a basketball player, if we're being completely honest. Uh, <laughs> but... You know, that's neither here here nor there. So, anything else from the bubble, just like from a content standpoint, that you guys have enjoyed? Um, Steven Adams is now a chess master. I don't know if you guys have seen this. No. Okay, I need you guys to go to Steven Adams' uh, Twitter page. All right. Look down below him retweeting Neil deGrasse Tyson about John Lewis. Um. You'll see him tweeting about him securing a Lego mate. I don't know how to pronounce that word, but, you know, for the for the lads, he says. Now, what I need you to do is go and look at his tweets and replies. Why can't I find Stephen Adams' Twitter account? It uh, is at RealStephenAdams. Yeah, I... That's pretty quick uh, dub for him in chess. So now go to his tweets and replies. What yeah, am I just looking scroll for down a bit. Replies. <laughs> he replied the picture of him winning at chess to 
a picture of Harden in his mask. And to a shot. And to um, PJ Tucker shooting from the corner. And um, <laughs> to Bull Bull Dunking. Bull Bull. And OG Ananobi's birthday. And oh my ben God! Steps on the Mavs, and Jordan Clarkson in the bubble. A story about Eric Bledsoe testing positive to COVID. <laughs> Tyson Chandler taking photos. This is all great. An ESPN.com story about the Last Dance. Naturally, naturally. Yeah. yeah. The rest and is just a is, bunch of different people showing up to the bubble. He is very Impressive. proud of his chess prowess. Is what I'm saying. And to me, that was the weirdest and funniest thing I had seen from the bubble so far. That's awesome. Speaking of shoes, how many shoes do you think Steven Adams brought to the bubble? I bet he's a minimalist as well. I'm thinking probably a pair of slides. I, I think it's I just like a pair of slides. A, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like maybe he's, he's also a house shoe kind of guy. Like probably two pairs of comfortable shoes and then basketball shoes. Yeah, I bet. Like, I, think I, he, I think there are people who have seen him walking around Oklahoma City barefoot. That checks out. I would be willing to bet he probably didn't bring a pair of closed-toed shoes to wear other than basketball shoes. I bet I it's like that's... maybe some sandals and some slides or something like that. But he's in Florida. You're in a bubble. You don't need closed-toed shoes. Have we uh have we gotten any meal updates since night one of the bubble? We haven't seen any bubble meals in a while. Have they improved their game? Is it just not funny anymore to post their shitty meals? What's the deal? Well, I think the unfortunate reality is that the meals aren't that shitty. Like, yeah. I think that was only one course of a meal that got shared yeah. with us. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's impossible for a meal that is individually wrapped in every like every item is individually wrapped it's impossible for that meal to actually look good right like yeah. there's no presentation possibilities there um, like yeah you give me any unsauced pasta it's gonna look bad yeah yeah so i i don't know i think it just kind of became pretty like it was like a weird thing to complain about because the food's probably pretty good yeah and they're getting plenty of it. Like, that's another thing. Like, the media people are like, oh, we get an insane amount of food. Like, there's – I'm never hungry. I have to, like, turn food away. Um, so, which, yeah. you know, very American. <laughs> A very American mm-hmm. problem. I was you, really glad to hear, by the way, that Disney got, like, a ton of extra large beds brought in. Because otherwise, I do think that the bubble could have been a genuinely uncomfortable experience. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's totally point. true. That's totally true. Yeah, a bunch of they would have to have like They'd be two sleeping beds and, corner to corner. Oh yeah. Diagonally. And that wouldn't even work for like Joel Embiid. Nah. Like, he'd probably be too long for that. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that. Um. Okay, so I want to talk about what we think the basketball is going to be like in the bubble because Oh, are they playing basketball there? Yeah, they're going to they're going to start playing basketball. I thought it was just like basketball. summer camp. I thought they were going to like start right. doing tug of war, high ropes course, that kind of thing. See, I was hoping there would be some of that kind of stuff going on. That would be fucking great, dude. Like that, that would, would be, have given yeah. us content. Absolutely. Just the just the teamwork montage from Pitch yeah. Perfect 2, but it's yes. the Rockets. You could tell <laughs> you could televise that pretty easily, but um 
Yeah, so I, I kind of want to talk about some basketball and kind of what we're expecting to see because, and you know, and I think making predictions in this situation has the potential to go hilariously wrong, so we're going to give it a try. Um, Speak for yourself. Mine are going to be day one. Fire. Right okay. on them. Right on them. Okay. Um, so, a, like, I guess, like, to just start out, like, what teams are we thinking are, are going to look really good after the the layoff, and what teams are, are going to struggle? How do we feel about that? It's tough to say because you can take it multiple directions, right? You can say, you know, the the teams like the Clippers and Lakers, they're just like they were built this year, and they were built on talent and talent alone. You can say like, yeah, those guys are consummate pros, and they're more likely to figure it out off this long and weird break. But you could also say, like, the Bucks, they have been constructed like this for a while. They know each other. Like, you can say that that model of building a team is going to lean, like, is going to make for an easier comeback off this layoff. And I personally, like, I would probably lean towards the Bucks side. I would say, like, the Bucks, they're the ones I'm least worried about coming back. Um, and not to say I am like the think the Lakers are going to fall apart or anything, um, but like the, the just the way the Bucks are built, how they've been together for so long, they're a team that I'm super confident in to come back. See, okay. I look at this. I think there are going to be primarily two types of teams that benefit from. Well, okay, there's a um, player development and like management side of having taken this long break and now coming back. And there's also a philosophy of play side. So in terms of like player development and management, I think teams that rely on a lot of older players playing extended minutes are going to have benefited from the extended rest period. And teams that rely on a lot of young players um, could also potentially benefit because they essentially just got a free off season. Like and probably the most productive offseason imaginable in terms of development. Why do you say that? Why is it more productive than a normal offseason? Because these guys had nothing to do but become incredibly fit. Okay. That's true. I also but you you don't know how much like for these young guys, like you see Zion, he's gotten somehow more swole than he was before and potentially in better shape. How many of these young guys were actually grinding in the gym and is that the most important thing for them at their age or is like developing that chemistry with teammates more important whereas like presumably none of them could build anything like that they couldn't even if they did find a gym where they could get some shots up with a trainer or something like they weren't running five on fives with teammates and stuff so there's really i i agree with your argument like that's plausible and i think you could just take it any way you want you can say you know this is this reason is going you you could take any reason and say it's a reason that these guys are going to be fresh and ready to go or it's a reason that they're going to be rusty and like it's going to look like the train wheels have fallen off right well so essentially i think the because there's also there's a degree to which like you have to look and say like okay is this a young player with really high work ethic is this a young player whose development is being guided by a competent organization that sort of thing mm-hmm. is like obviously Darius play of the future that. of the NBA right exactly 
but um, no. So like to me, that's like there is potential for improvement over their odds in a regular season setting from teams that fall into those camps. And I think there is potential for a backslide from teams of like primarily made up of players in their mid to late 20s who are, you know, in in prime shape and who uh, and this gets into the other thing um, and who play a style of basketball that is heavily predicated on, you know, teamwork and drills and, um, you know, being able to trust each other. Um, which is why, and I know Alex is probably going to take umbrage with this. We discussed this in our pre-show notes. I do think that the Rockets are going to come out of here looking relatively strong because uh, P.J. Tucker had an opportunity to do something besides, like, survive attempted murder um, from his own organization. And they're basically playing pickup basketball anyways. Right. So I guess we could just jump into this because part of my pre-show thing that I said, I was like, I want to take some time to talk shit about the Rockets. And so I guess we can just do that now. Um, so I, I think that you are potentially spot on with that take that, you know, P.J. Tucker was going to die if he had to go straight into the playoffs what they, for what they were asking him to do. Um, you know, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, like those kind of guys, they were just not going to make it, I don't think. But they have a better chance now. Um, so I think that in the seeding games, I think the Rockets are likely to look really good. And, you know, you know, barring, you know, Westbrook still isn't in the bubble yet. So that's a hurdle they're going to have to clear. And Right. And they did know, entirely remake their team around him. Yeah. Like literally, he forces you to do. Their two best players both had coronavirus. Like, that is not yeah. nothing. You know, so, and clearly Russ is not completely cleared yet or else he would be there. So I think that that's something to look for. But I think, you know, all of that goes well. You know, it seems like Harden is back and healthy. So I think the seeding games could really favor the Rockets and they could do a lot of a lot of damage. I don't know exactly what their schedule is. I know they have a game with the Lakers in there, but... Um, I think in playoff situations, though, so much of what they do is predicated on just being weird. And they're going to play teams that are going to be fine with that after a couple games. And I don't think they don't have a plan B. Like, what is their plan B if Russ going to the rim 40 times and Harden taking 30 step back threes? What if that doesn't work? Like, there's nothing else that they can throw at you. Um, And, you know, I think that. You know, the Lakers, that's a team, like, I've heard some concern about, like, well, oh, the Rockets, they beat the Lakers the last time they played. And I'm like, yeah, Russ shot great from the mid-range in that game. You know, how was Russ going to be coming off of a long break? Like, you know, Russ is such a rhythm player in regards to his shooting. And when he's off rhythm, he's just not even going to hit the rim on a lot of shots that he takes. So if he's taking five or six mid-range jump shots, you know, in a game against the Lakers, he's probably going to need to make four or five of those. And if he's missing all but a one or two of those, like that's really going to hurt the Rockets game plan. Um, and I, I just don't think that in a, a series setting, they can hang with teams. And not to mention, if they play the Clippers, they're screwed. Because the Clippers can just be like, 
yeah, we'll play small and we'll be better than you. Like, that's that's what the Clippers will do to them. You know, they can play Markeith Morris at the five with Kawhi and Paul George at the three and the four, and they're still pretty big with Pat Beverly in the backcourt. Like, that's – they're not going to be giving up anything defensively, and they're going to be better offensively than the Rockets. So there's just matchups like that. And, you know, statistically speaking, I was listening to this pod the other day, Jokic destroys P.J. Tucker. You know, what are they going to do against Jokic? I know he's skinnier now, um, but what are they going to do against Jokic? There's no plan B if P.J. Tucker's getting cooked every time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's point. totally I think, valid. I think they're they're definitely one of those teams. I don't think there there are three outcomes, right? There's one team that just completely falls off the rails from what they were before. There are teams that pick up right where they left off, and there's some that, like, I think the Clippers could be one that they, like, get a boost from this long break. Um, And I think the Rockets are definitely in the camp where it's going to be all or nothing. They are going to, like, maybe you can argue that Harden, the way he's had to carry his teams in the past, he gets gassed towards the end of the season. He could come back completely fresh and just ready to annihilate and go for 50 every night right now. And that pickup style like ryan said um it does you know play well to we haven't played with each other for a few months and we can just go ahead and do this but yeah once they get to the playoffs like when they're the other team gets a chance at seven games at most against them like i'm not sure how that's going to work for them but that was probably going to be a problem for them regardless you know if right. the season continued regularly yeah i think I think realistically they're probably in a better spot now, but I don't like I just I don't see a world that they make the finals. You know, because if you make the finals in the West, they will have had to beat the Clippers and the Lakers. And that's just I don't think possible. Yeah, for them. No, absolutely not. You know, and I think that you know, we talk about, you know, Russell Westbrook uh, and there's a lot of the conversation around Westbrook has always been weird. Um, and awkward because one side is like, you know, like Bleacher Report has him outside the top 20 of players in the NBA this year. And then you've got people that are willing to like die for him as like a top five player in the league. And the reality of the situation with how Russ played this year is that he was more efficient than he's ever been. Yeah. But think about what the Rockets had to give up to make it possible for him to be that way. Because the first two or three months of the season, it was probably the worst version of Westbrook we've ever had. He was unbelievably inefficient. And the last two months, he really made up for it, and he was fantastic. But at the same time, if you look at that time period, the Rockets had to completely change their team to build around their not-best player. Right. right. We talked they, about the this. Best player, the best offensive player in the NBA is on the Rockets, arguably. Um, and he is not the person the team is built around. Right. And that guy had one of the worst stretches of his career as Westbrook was going off every night. And that him going off, that was so great. He led them to the sixth seed right now. They're behind the freaking thunder right now. Like, so, you know, I'm glad, you know, good for Russ, you know, his effective field goal percentage was up and like, that's, that's really cute. And I like that for him. Good for (laughs) Russ. But like, have we have we even seen anything ever from Russell Westbrook that 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 his way of playing if a team is built around him it's not going anywhere it isn't 
I think there's a better chance they lose in the first round than make the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. That is definitely a very regular season style of play, building around Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and like the dude, you know, we're talking about a guy had his most efficient season ever. Like the dude, all like he did stop taking threes for the second half of the season, but at the same time, don't you think teams are just gonna be like? We're going to make you take threes, dude. Like, you're going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. Or you can dribble two steps in and take a long two. Like, your choice. But we're not going to give you the rim, you know? And, like, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to guard Russ with their center. Um, if they have to have a center on the court, I think that he's going to be guarded by bigger guys that are going to just hang at the rim and just wait for him. And we know that Russ is not an overly efficient finisher either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I think, yeah, this is the problem with a team that is really only built to do one thing, is mm-hmm. that when they get to the playoffs, you know, a team is prepared to play seven games against nothing but you. That's like, so, yeah, yeah. I don't, I and obviously just, have concerns about the Rockets in the playoffs. And just so, and just so I don't only shit on Russell Westbrook, I'm going to shit on James Harden now, um, <laughs> because... And, and, in the reason of fairness. Right, yeah. To be fair, Harden is almost, you know, pretty much just as big a, a liability in the playoffs because each possession, you know, we've talked about this. I think we talked about this in our, when we did the big rankings pod. But, like, it comes down to the end of the pos- of the game and the best shot Harden's going to create is a step back three. Like, that's not a great look at any point in the game. He's better at it than anybody else. But it's still a sub-40% shot. And at the end of the game, when you have to get a bucket and the guy is taking a sub-40% shot, like, that's not ideal. And there's really no there's no plan B there. Um, so it's just like the ultimate, if it works, great. But there's I just don't see any scenario that it yeah. works four times against quality opponents. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Harden can take moving contested threes and make them at a 36% clip is like, you know, it's an incredible achievement at like that speaks to his skill and it propels his teams through the regular season. It racks them up insane stats. You know, it really does break the game. But the problem is that that means that at the end of the game, when you need points to win, that shot has an almost two out of three chance of not going in. Right. Yeah. Well, and they're relying. I mean, Eric Gordon was just objectively terrible this year. The guy shot 32% from three this year. Um, They're relying on shooters like PJ Tucker, who is a quality three point shooter from the corner, but I don't ever, I don't think PJ Tucker's ever been considered a guy that you're just not going to be willing to shoot five or six threes a game. Like, he's probably not going to make four of those, you know? So, like, I think you're probably willing to let him shoot. The last time Robert Covington was in the playoffs, he was essentially unplayable. You know, like, that's another thing. Like, there's just so many things going against them that I'm just, I'm annoyed and tired of hearing people talk about, oh, I think the Rockets could really do great in this situation. They have the top-tier talent, and I just don't think that they do. Yeah, that's really fair. I, I tend to agree with you on that. I don't think we... 
we we do a pretty good job of staying unbiased towards the Rockets as a whole. I mean, we'll talk shit on them unfairly, you know, for personal reasons. But when it comes to basketball, like we we recognize mm-hmm. how they are and what they are. And yeah. I mean, that's exactly what they are. And I yeah. think, the, well, the other aspect of this conversation is I think it's pretty revealing that, like, you know, once we get past these play-in games, the playoffs are going to be about the playoffs we expected them to be. Because I don't think anything we've said about the Rockets is unique to a bubble situation. It's exactly how we would diagnose their playoff chances in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, the only, the only thing you can really say this changed, I think, is that, you know, maybe Russ's shooting rhythm leaves him, which would be a negative. Right, or which would be catastrophic. The- yeah, or, or the Arden fact picks that, his back up or something right. like that. Or maybe like the fact that PJ Tucker is not going to die now. Maybe that yeah. is like a huge bonus, which, you know, maybe that changes the the calculus a little bit. But I think it's I think it's pretty much the same situation we're looking at. Um, so I, you know, I tend to agree with, you know, what you guys say that the teams with really good players are probably going to be fine in these situations like hot take hot take alert Uh, but you know like i i tend to think that lebron is going to be fine in this situation you know and i you know there's some concern that like he's an older body that you know he had built himself up for a playoff run and then he was off for several months and i just i think that evaluating lebron like a normal person is just misguided at this point like i don't know what we've seen from him in his career that makes anyone think that he's the same as anyone else um yeah when you talk about like the the things that would make you nervous with a big layoff like that is like staying in game shape and stuff and you know guys a lot of guys not having the resources to get in the gym get a trainer like continue working on their game LeBron is the least person you should worry about that. He has every resource he could possibly have in his own house. Like, he mm-hmm. is just fine not being, constantly being around a team. Right, right. Yeah, no, I I worry more about a guy like Anthony Davis who is fairly injury prone. Not, like, serious injuries, but he gets nicked up, you know, throughout the year. And, like, maybe that, you know, a situation where he's having to ramp it up quickly um, for the playoffs, that might be a negative, but I'm not going to worry about LeBron James. Like that guy is a superhuman, and you know, obviously, you know, if any kind of injury happens, the Lakers are done and they're totally screwed. But any other team loses their best player, they're done and totally screwed. And LeBron's only really ever had one serious injury in his career. Yeah, I think I think they'll be fine on the injury front and. Like I said, it can go any way with different kinds of bodies. I mean, the reason Anthony Davis gets nicked up a lot, it could be just like constant wear and tear on his body. So maybe you know a little rest will yeah. take him back to where he can get through the rest of the season no problem. I think that's exactly what's going to happen for the Clippers with guys like Paul George and Kawhi, especially like the probably the biggest reason the Raptors won the title last year is because Kawhi could rest whenever he wanted throughout the season he was fresh when he got to the playoffs he could carry the entire load that he needed to do to get them over the top and he will fully he was able to rest a lot during the season this year and now he's gotten multiple months to where he could rest grind like you know he is he will be i think he will be at peak performance once they get to the playoffs and there is a chance that 
you know, maybe Paul George does just suck in the playoffs. We're going to find that out this year. I think he's going to have no excuses. He cannot be banged up once he gets to the playoffs. If he is, then that is just forever going to be a knock on him. You can't make the excuse that it's like the long, grueling season anymore. Is like this is the time we're going to find out how Paul George can actually do in the playoffs. Don't you think that really the biggest reason that the Raptors won the championship is because Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson got hurt, though? I mean, that, that certainly helped, but they were they were hanging with them. I would say they could have won the championship without both of those guys getting hurt. Like, if one of them was hurt... Yeah, if like the Warriors were, lost an all-star player, they had a chance. Yeah. But yeah. It, it wasn't... It, I don't think... It was happening without Paul George or not Paul George Kawhi getting to rest though. No, I think you're. I think that's true. But I, it was. It just wasn't happening. Like if both of them didn't get hurt, obviously. I mean, Durant is the bigger loss of those two. But they were the Warriors were hanging with them without Durant with Clay. Oh, yeah. You know, like so. I I don't know. Um, it's hard to. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think the Warriors' injuries were a bigger part of that process, but they might not have gotten there if you know they might have lost to Philly. If um, right, they, or, the, you know, or Milwaukee. People forget how close that Philly series was. Yeah, that was a great series. I I am always going to be pissed off that I decided that watching the shit show final season of Game of Thrones was more important than watching the end of that series. <laughs> Oh, that was what a what a disastrous yeah. decision on your part. That was that was a really stupid decision. That might have been the night of the the fight, the Battle of Winterfell. I think that might have been that episode that night. One of I, the few redeeming episodes. Yeah, like the only good episode of the season. But at the same time, it's like the the ending was just so bad it ruined everything else for me, but um yeah, so I missed the Kawhi shot because I was watching a bad final season of a good TV show. So anyways, always going to be a little bitter about that. Um, anyways, let's talk about the Sixers now that we're here. Um, Cause we know that Sam is a Sixers fan. Oh yeah. Of, of sorts. Long, long time, long time Sixers yeah. fan. God. There's been some interesting news on the Sixers front. Um, they, I apparently, in scrimmages and practices, Ben Simmons has exclusively been a four-man, and they've gone with Shake Milton as the starting point guard, who, you know, obviously a great name from Owasso, Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. just a complete knockdown shooter, or at least in, like, the relatively small sample size of this year. I mean, he shot 45% from three this year. He's pretty knocked down, so if you can get a guy like him who is – not a small player. He's six foot five at point guard. You know, you're not giving up a ton of size. Um, you get a guy like that can that can knock down shots. That might open up the Sixers' offense like we haven't seen really since that year that they had Redick and Bellinelli and all those shooters. Yeah, I mean, when you're running a pick and roll offense with a guy like Joel Embiid, the biggest thing you need out of your handler is just somebody that creates even the slightest bit of gravity to them to like where they can't just you know sag off of the screen and prevent Joel Embiid from getting the ball in the roll as much as possible so Ben Simmons running a pick and roll with Joel Embiid that's like the worst possible combination you can have 
because that's right. the number one guy that is not going to pull up on you. There is absolutely zero threat for him to do that. And so, you know, I, like I had said whenever you first brought up, Ben Simmons running the four in a pick-and-roll scenario, like him being the screener in a pick-and-roll is perfect for him. It might yeah. not be perfect being next to Joel Embiid still because there's still going to be a little bit of a traffic jam in the lane, but having been there with a knockdown shooter handling the ball, like he can get the ball in advantageous situations on the roll. He's obviously an incredible distributor, so when he's making quick decisions after he gets it on the roll, you know, if there's another shooter or even just Al Horford in the corner ready for Ben Simmons to kick it out to him or Joel Embiid cutting backside, you know, there's so many more opportunities that you can create with Ben Simmons rolling on a pick and roll as opposed to handling the ball in the pick and roll. And you can still like, you can bring the ball up when you want. You can, you know, have, have the ball in your hands occasionally. It's not like being the four is like, it completely takes away things you want to do in the game. Like I've never understood the refusal to not want to be a role man at all. Yeah, it's um, I'm just I'm interested to see how he handles um, off ball movement and just broadly speaking, like learning to exist in an off ball role, um, because I really like this is going to be, I think, the biggest part of Ben Simmons flourishing into like a player who really is a definitive top 20 player like we established him as. Um however many weeks ago we did that. Um, because, I mean, he's already, like, an incredible defender. I don't know if you guys... It's pretty good. What the... Uh, well, like, the all-defense votes were, like, leaked or something? Revealed? I didn't see that. Yeah, or or, see or that somebody, either. like, did a survey of voters, and, a, like, he was going to be first-team all-defense this year. Like... Yeah, and deservedly so. Like, that's not a thing that's, like... You know, if Chris Paul was first team all defense, you know, a guy that's doing it off reputation, like right. Ben Simmons right. is an and incredible this, so, yeah. defender. Like he's a first team all defense player playing out of position. Like I, if he can learn how to be comfortable as a secondary playmaker, as the short roll man, you know, learns to create space with movement, um, and I. You know, and this is one of the frustrating things is that it's hard to be exactly certain how capable he's going to be of these things because Philly has just not done this. But I feel like he should be able to create vertical spacing, right? He's 6'10 and moves like a gazelle. Yeah. No, I think somewhat for sure. I mean, the problem to me when you talk about Ben Simmons as a role man is who is handling in this situation for Philly? You know, right. like there, I mean, Josh Richardson's like kind of a combo-y guard, but really he's a two. Shake Milton is combo-y, but mostly a two. You know, you're not really concerned about those guys doing anything on their own. Like, so it can still be effective, but I mean, it's not going to just break defenses when you have a non-threat as the handler in this situation. Um even though I think it's better than what they've been trying to do, where you're running a 1-5 pick-and-roll with two guys that can't shoot or shoot relatively low percentages with Simmons and Embiid. So I, I, I think it's a good move 
but I think there are other moves to be made to really idealize that situation. Do you guys want to hear a trade that I have? Does it involve I, Chris Paul? Uh, yes, it does. I love this trade. Oh, stepping back from this just really quickly. Man, why did the Sixers sign Horford? Yeah, no, that's that has turned out. I think, honestly, it was mostly the fact that they were a freaking disaster without Embiid on the court last year. And they just right. overreacted to that fact and decided, well, we have to get a guy who can be our backup center. Yeah. And instead of just signing, like, a good backup center, they decided that they were going to make Al Horford a power forward, and it just has been a disastrous idea because Horford can shoot the basketball, but, he's again, he's a kind of a P.J. Tucker type where, you know, he'll shoot it, but you're not really concerned about him because he's not ever going to take, like, 10 in a game. You know, he'll take four or five, and, you know, he might – make two or three of them, but you can live with that, you know? So it's, it's been a disaster signing. Um, but I think honestly, you put Chris Paul on the Sixers and make him that ball handler. You know, you, you're able to run Chris Paul, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. Like that's title contender there. Like the Sixers are a nice team this year and they're good. I like them, but with Chris Paul as a point guard, that's a title contender. Um, so the trade I have, I mean, it's, I don't know. As a Thunder fan, you're probably not overly excited about it. because. Well, yeah, I did the math on what name you left out of that lineup. Yeah, right, right. You did. Um, so you're going to have to give up Al Horford. I mean, you're going to have to get Al Horford's contract back, which is substantial. You know, like that's a... That's a pretty big ask if you're Philly. Um, so I think maybe that's some added leverage that you have. You've got to take Mike Scott. You've got to take Zaire Smith just to make salaries work. Um, but I'm asking for Shake Milton and at least one more first-round pick to go with that. And those are kind of the assets that the Thunder would get. How do we feel about this trade on both sides? Say that again for me. Shake Milton and Hal Horford. What else did you give up for the Sixers? So it's Al Horford, Mike Scott, Zaire Smith, Shake Milton, and at least one first-round draft pick. Like, you know, I think giving taking on Al Horford's contract is a pretty big ask. So maybe you could ask for two first first-round picks, or maybe instead of Zaire Smith, you go for Matisse Thybul. I don't know. Um, how do we feel about this trade? So are you are you pitching this like? They should have done this before the trade deadline this year or after the season, and it doesn't work out for them this is what should happen. I'm pitching this as like an off season trade because I think the Thunder are going to try and trade Chris Paul. Yeah. I think that the, I think the Sixers are going to be okay in the playoffs. I think that, um, you know, you put them in this situation, they might have a decent little run, but they're not going to beat Milwaukee. Like there's no way. Um, so I, I think that they're going to be looking at a situation where like Al Horford's been a disaster. You know, like he just doesn't work on the team. So if you can get an elite level point guard to put with Simmons and Embiid and Tobias Harris, like that is considerably raising the ceiling of your team. And the Thunder are getting assets for taking on Al Horford and giving up the and giving up the all star Chris Paul. Yeah, I agree. If that's presented to the Thunder, you take that in a heartbeat. Um the question is, 
for Philly, I mean, I know obviously it makes them incredible next year. Is mm-hmm. that like how how many years do you think Chris Paul has left and is giving up two assets in Shake and it seems to say Zaire and then two more first round picks? That to me personally seems like a lot to give up for yeah. a year, maybe two of Chris Paul. Um, I think if Presti could pull that off, you take the deal in a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how. It depends, you know, how much you value one good strong year at a title. Right. Well, the thing with Chris Paul is, and I think this is going to be the question about how long he can stay in the NBA, because he's already like he already is playing old man style, right? Like yeah. he doesn't drive to the rim particularly often at all. Um, he is relying on his ability to shoot over guys in the mid range and make smart decisions on, you know, both on ball, off ball, and whenever he's playing defense. So for me, the question of his longevity is more about his injury frequency, which the Thunder have been extremely fortunate in the fact that he's been healthy all year. Um, But at the same time, that might be related to the fact that he's being asked to do significantly less than he's ever been asked to do in his career. And I think in Philly, like that workload can potentially even go down more because he'll be playing alongside like a, an incredible playmaker in Ben Simmons, B a dominant post player in Joel Embiid and a, you know, three level scorer in Tobias Harris. Right. Well, and you, you look at like the way Chris Paul played in Houston and it was not, he did not like it because he did not like being just a spot up shooter while Harden just dribbled for 20 seconds. And, you know, kind of what I've seen from Philly is that I think Brett Brown would like the ball to move around a lot, honestly. You know, I know that they've got Embiid who likes to post up, but like when you're not posting up Embiid, I think they want a pretty high ball movement offense. And that can really work with Chris Paul. You know, if he's initiating that ball movement with a pick and roll, um, then that could be something that they've never had before. And yeah, that could make. Well, and that's the other thing with Brett Brett Brown's offense is that like they just haven't been equipped to spam pick and rolls like ever. Right. Yeah. No, they haven't. Like they've they've run very few of them because they don't have the personnel to do it very well. I don't think it's because they don't want to do it. You know, I think you put Chris Paul on that team with Embiid and that's pretty monstrous um so i guess you know there from a thunder standpoint you know i to me if i'm philly i'm taking the deal um even if they're asking for one or two first because horford has one more year than chris paul does at 28 million a year like that's substantial you know so you're going to be getting off of a big contract quicker than you were before which i i don't think you can look at that as nothing um, and you're going to be significantly better for the next two years. Um, but if you're the Thunder, would you, how would we feel if, you know, Philly leverages? Now, granted, Philly is like the worst team in the league at this. So Thunder might wind up getting four first round picks for this yeah, deal. I this, don't know. this is where the former player as a GM comes into play. Yeah. So, like, would you take this deal without picks? Like, if it were just Horford, Scott, Smith, and Milton, and, like, I guess, like, a second instead of a first, like, would you take that as a Thunder, as the Thunder? 
I think I would want. Well, I don't know. How do we feel about Zaire Smith versus Matisse Eiffel? Well, see, that that's the problem. Is loved Zaire Smith coming out of the draft, and obviously Sam Presti's going to have a different evaluation on him. But you know, Zaire Smith is younger. He is like made in a Sam Presti lab. I think he could. It depends what you think of him because we haven't seen him do anything for two years, and so right. I still think that's probably pretty valuable. And I think. That's why I think the one first-round pick is kind of the sweet spot for both sides. I think that yeah. kind of makes it a pretty fair deal. Yeah. Um, and I'm, if I'm the Thunder, I probably I would arguably want Zaire more than Thibel, um, for specifically for the Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you know, Sam Presti will probably tell me I'm an idiot for that, and here's a list of reasons why. But I... I just think that Zaire Smith is still worth a pretty good amount, and one first-round pick is the the sweet spot in that deal. So right. I I re I reconfigured the trade, um, and Al Horford, Zaire Smith, and Shake Milton for Chris Paul works straight up. So you don't even have to give up um, Mike Scott, and I don't think the Thunder would want Mike Scott anyways. So I think that works better. Um, I feel a little bit better about that from a Thunder standpoint because you're taking back less um because i i don't i don't know how the thunder are going to be impacted financially because i would imagine the thunder are going to be impacted pretty significantly so being able to cut some salary in this deal would be a benefit for the thunder as well and if you're getting a guy in zaire who hasn't done anything like sam has said but you have the ability to possibly mold him into something and the realized version of Zaire Smith fits really well with what the Thunder have. And Shake Milton fits, fits really well with what the Thunder have today. Um, and he's an Oklahoma kid, so added bonus. But <laughs> I really like this deal. Um, and I'd, I'd be willing to do it with no picks just because I don't know. I mean, it would depend on it. If New York is like, yeah, we'll give you R.J. Barrett and a first, like then obviously. But um, I don't know what the the market for Chris Paul is going to be like in this environment. Right. If, yeah, I, the other thing I think that, um, accepting Horford, you know, that's a negative, but what it also does is set you up to, um, potentially offload Steven Adams on an expiring and be totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Horford's weird. He's, he's a weird player to have, but he's not, he's not the kind of player like Chris Paul, where he's going to just elevate your team from, bad to like okay because a lot of what he does is predicated on having really good players around him and he makes them better um so i I think having i think you could easily tank with al horford as your center and you could just you know be careful with his minutes and you're gonna suck at rebounding like that's fine like i'm i'm totally cool with that kind of trade-off because honestly i think next year is important for the thunder tank because the draft class is really good and Chris Paul is too good. If you have him, you're just going to be too good. Yeah. I, I definitely think like that those are both things that both teams should be seeking. Um, and I'm, I'm with you. If you get one of those young guys, I'd probably still do it with no picks. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm Philly, I would not want to give up two picks. Like I said, but Chris Paul is the ideal player to, you know, run a pick and roll offense like that. I'm just looking, I've uh, 
pulled up pull up field goal percentage and Chris Paul. I mean, there are other guys that are like close to Chris Paul's pull up field goal percentage, but on the volume that Chris Paul is doing it, just like no one is even close to that. So maybe you see this like Josh Richardson and Shake Milton. They both actually have a pretty decent um, pull up field goal percentage. So maybe you evaluate, you take this time in the bubble, these few games and the playoffs, you evaluate, you know, how, how effective do you think they can be in that for a full season next year? And maybe you try and offload Al Horford for, you know, multiple pieces like a, a quality backup center, as well as, you know, somebody that can actually run that like a true point guard, obviously not to the level Chris Paul can, but somebody that could be effective enough that the trade-off to getting a quality backup center is worth it. I will say another aspect of this from the Thunder's perspective is that if I'm Chris Paul and my choices are the Knicks or Philly, like, you know, you can call me the Fresh Prince Uh, because there's like I and which is going to be a big deal, because one of the things we emphasize with the Thunder's moves into this new era last offseason was the importance being placed on doing right by players. Um, and one of the players you absolutely need to do right by is the president of the Players Association. Right. So I, I definitely think that that, even if, you know, the opportunity to fleece New York was there, yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily the best move for the Thunder moving forward. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I do think there is potential to fleece Elton Brandt. So. Absolutely. I mean, it's, Did Elton it's Brandt and Chris Paul ever play together? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't I, think they would have. I don't think they did. I think Bram was off the Clippers by the time Chris Paul was there. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, the Thunder might be able to make this deal and get four first-round draft picks. Like, there's no telling what Elton Brand and what Philly is willing to do to, you know, go all in. Because that's one thing they've shown. Like, they want to go all in. And I think this is as all in as it gets for them. Um, and just the idea of... You know, if Chris Paul can kind of take the personality that he's had in Oklahoma City up to Philly and, like, teach Ben Simmons how to be a better ball handler and decision maker, teach Joel Embiid how to be more professional, like, I think that could be a huge move for them just from a, you know, off-the-court standpoint in terms of, you know, you know, improving their preparation and it could just be a huge move for them in terms of, you know, not just the short term that Chris Paul is there, but changing the culture of that entire team. Because, I mean, I think we all could agree that Philly has at best had a weird culture the last, you know, pretty much since they got rid of Sam Hinkie. Yeah. Um, given, the, I mean, the, their front office culture was built around denying that the, that the strategy that worked, worked. Right. And... The, you know, in the gym, the culture was um, mostly built around foot injuries, and then they <laughs> traded for Jimmy Butler. So, hey. yeah. The underrated aspect of that trade is setting OKC up for future assistant coach Al Horford. Oh, yeah. Because oh, I, I, I fully, like, he, he seems like he'd be a good guy. That, like, he'll probably want to get into coaching, and he'd be good at it. I think Billy Donovan will set him on that track to he'll get his foot in the door with the thunder and we'll see, we'll reap the benefits of that as well. That'd be fantastic. I mean, we all, I mean, we all know that Al Horford played for Billy D at 
at Florida. This is so true. It's a natural. It's a natural yeah. fit. I'm sure Billy would be really happy to get out Horford. That's that's now, why Horford didn't was help us come in 2016. 2016. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he was going to come in 2016 if KD didn't leave. Right, right. Man, this trade is so perfect. It just makes me feel so good for both teams. Like I would love watching that Philly team. Like watching that team go up against Milwaukee. Like that sounds like a lot of fun to me. So I'm all in. And you know, Boston's still up there. Like that. That could be a lot of fun if that were to happen. So, um, and the Thunder, they just got. They got to move on. They got to get Chris Paul. I mean, this. There's never going to be a better time to trade Chris Paul than after this year. So. Um, it's gotta happen. Um, okay. So now I talked about some predictions earlier and, you know, in typical Oklahoma drill fashion, there's very little preparation put into this. Um, but while we've been talking, I've thought of kind of three predictions that I want us all to make just kind of off the top of our heads, because I think that I don't think researching these topics would have helped us at all so um we're just gonna kind of bullshit through these so i want three predictions i want to know who meets in the finals who wins which i guess that's two predictions in itself who is the best player that we're gonna see in the bubble like who's going to play the best in the bubble in the nba and who is going to be the young player that makes a jump that we weren't really expecting you know like they took full advantage of this offseason like Ryan was talking about and they came back and essentially like a second year player is now a third year player or a rookie is now a second year player like who's making that big jump um, in the bubble interesting mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start with my finals prediction because that's the easiest one I think I can do off the top of my head I am going to upset Alex and say Clippers and Bucks in the finals, um, which isn't like a super hot take. Or they're the one in the two seed in their respective conferences right now. Um, yeah. And I think that Kawhi and Paul George will, you know, the, the layoff will benefit them heavily. Um, and I just think down the line, they're a better team to me than the Lakers. Um, like, Barely. I think, obviously, the Lakers are incredible, and they have the best player of all time, and Anthony Davis as well. But I'm just, I would go with the Clippers over them. Alex I Caruso. really, I yeah, they do have the ultimate. Uh, they do have a balding man the bench, from Texas or is he a starter now? I don't. I never I think know. Gonna, I think they're gonna bring him off the bench. I think yeah. they're gonna start Casey. I never know. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I would go with the Clippers, and I really want to say that the Bucks would win the title. Um, but man, I just, I think whoever comes out of the West, whether it's the Lakers or the Clippers is going to be the one to win the title as much as I love Giannis and love how the Bucks play and are constructed. I just, I don't know. I, I can't foresee a future where the Milwaukee Bucks win an NBA championship. And, you know, a little over a year ago, I was saying the same thing about the Toronto Raptors and here we are, but I, I think I'll take the Clippers to win the title. Right. Who's going to be the best player? I assume probably Kawhi, do, if that's what your pick is. Um, no, I don't know. I still think I think Giannis is going to come out and just be like unreal, especially when you factor in the eight games of um, yeah. like regular season play. I just think that 
everyone around him, like when you get to a seven game series, if if the Bucks win the title, that will be like Giannis will have been on another level than he was in his two MVP seasons, which I'm including this year is that because I think he should and will win. Um, yeah. Like, I think he will have to be even a level above that. I think where I, where he will be is still going to be the best player and look like an MVP. But for them to win the title, I mean, it's going to have to be like an all-timer. Okay. So who is the young breakout player? Yeah, I'll you? definitely have to come back to that one. You guys do your um, finals and best player predictions, and I'll come back to that one. All right, Ryan. Um. I am going to um, go for the finals. It's going to be the Lakers, and just purely to be a contrarian, I'm going to say it's the Raptors. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. And I think the Lakers take it. Um, uh, if you want me to justify that, um, I Well, I can justify it. that by saying you have them playing the Raptors. So. <laughs> well, yeah. In terms of the Raptors beating the Bucks out of the East, um, I just, I, you no know, good reason. Not, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Fred Van Vliet will make shots and it'll be enough. Um, yeah. If, if the Raptors make it, that will be an incredible feat for Nick Nurse and also guarantee that the West is going to win. Yeah. So th- th- we'll go with that. Um, MVP of the bubble is hmm, that's going to be an interesting one um it's i'll come back to that one um because i want to give an interesting answer because i have an awesome very stupid answer for the um breakout young player um and it's gonna be bull 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 who's just needed more than a year to get nba ready but is going to come out here and be a seven foot two small forward yep. and make over 50% of his shots from three. I love it. Can um, you imagine, like, real quick, if Denver actually hit on both Bull Bull and Michael Porter Jr., yeah. like, how stupid is every other team in the NBA going to look that they let them get both of those guys? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's brutal. like a 1% chance that Bull Bull actually works out and becomes like a star, but. It, yeah, no. Porter flash like, this year for sure. It it would be so annoying if they if both of their stupid ultra high risk picks worked out just fine. Right. It would be very annoying. And On every Bowl, every high schooler every <laughs> high schooler available with bad for knee everybody genetics. in the second round. Yeah. Bowl yeah, the Bowl Bowl one would be crazy. Every high schooler with bad knee genetics will rejoice that now they have a chance. They won't right. get overlooked anymore. Right. Um, okay. I like I like the spicy predictions. Ryan went all out with those. So, um, all right. I think that in the finals we're gonna see Bucks, Lakers. Okay, hot take. Um, and just to explain my kind of mindset going into the bubble, I. I'm an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, okay? There's no doubt about it. I have no second – like, that is a thing. I used to be a Lakers fan. I became a Thunder fan over the years. However, 
in this particular situation, the Thunder have no chance of winning the title, just none. Um, and so I will I will root for them in any game that the Thunder play. That's great. But the Lakers are the team that I want to win the championship more than any other team. And so I guess in that sense, I am a Lakers fan for the bubble. Um, and I will firmly justify any championship that the Lakers win as it should count as two for LeBron because it's the <laughs> hardest championship that has ever happened. Um, and I will also say that if the Lakers don't win the championship, then it was only because of the stoppage and that any other champion is illegitimate. Uh, I'm glad that this is already a rational argument. Yeah, so that is that's my thought process going into this. If if the Clippers are able to outlast the Lakers in the in the bubble, it's obviously because the Lakers lost the rhythm that they were in because they were easily the best team before the shutdown. See, that's that's my argument for if the Bucks don't win. Mm, yeah. Anyone right. other than the Bucks winning is illegitimate. If they kept running the season and we were done with this a month ago, that's a great the Bucks argument. Were just rolling. Yeah, they looked great against the Lakers right before the break. Yep. Um, so that's my take on the matter. I think LeBron, best player in the bubble, best player of all time, everything, all that stuff. Um, as far as a breakout player, I'm going to go with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, I think that like everything I've heard is that that dude was playing basketball as much as humanly possible during his break, which, you know, Maybe not the most responsible way to live your life in this situation, but from a basketball standpoint, a very responsible way to live your life, um, working on your craft. So um, he's going to be rocking his Converse in the bubble, so that'll be exciting. Got a new hairdo. Um, I think Shea has a, a really good chance to so often you I just want to step in here and say that the Thunder just tweeted a picture of Shea and his Converse, and those shoes look fucking cool. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it looks great. Um, but... So often you see a guy take a a huge jump from year two to year three. I mean, Jason Tatum did that this year. Um, And if, you know, Shea could have used this offseason or this off period as kind of an offseason period, then, you know, he might be ready to make that third season jump in the bubble. And so Shea is my uh, breakout star of the bubble. Not to mention, you know, we haven't really talked a ton about the Thunder um, I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities because Dennis Schroeder is going to have a baby during this time. So uh, we might get to see Dennis or we might get to see Shea steering the ship more than we've seen throughout this year. Yeah, I was I was going to pick Shea as mine as for mine as well. Um, I thought there was a chance that somebody else would. So I didn't pick him. I think for me, this isn't exactly a breakout, but as much as it pains me to do, it, I'm going to go with Jason Tatum. Because um, I think obviously everyone knows he's very good right now, but I I think there's a real chance that he comes into this um, very limited sample size of the bubble and then however long the Celtics stick around the playoffs. I think there's a very real chance that he's just like that insane world beater talent that he was in the middle of the season, and he just goes on an absolute tear for as long as the Celtics stick around. Yeah, no, I, I've become, I really like Jason Tatum. Um, I think I had him maybe even overrated on my top players list. 
that we did on here, but I love his game. And he, to me, is maybe a year away from being like, like vaulting himself into that kind of Luka Doncic, you know, top tier status, you know, where, okay, this guy could be the best player on a championship team. Like, I think he is one more jump away from that. And so maybe we'll see that in the bubble. That would be fun. Yeah, I'm actually going to – I am going to alter my prediction and say that I think the finals is going to be Lakers-Celtics, and the Lakers are going to win, and it's going – like, I do think Bill Simmons will explode. That like, would be best the, the indignity best of such an illegitimate cha- uh, finals loss being hoisted on his beloved Boston Celtics, I do think will just cause Bill Simmons to spontaneously combust. That absolute best case scenario. And that's like a classic situation of like OU football overperforming and being in the playoff. Like the Celtics have no, like they're, they would be like a year ahead of schedule if they made it to the playoffs this year and just like playing against LeBron or made it to the finals. Yeah. Yeah. And playing against LeBron would just be unfair for them. Um, But that would be funny to make Bill Simmons really mad. Yeah. No, that would be fantastic. That would be absolutely fantastic. Um, so let's let's end on some Thunder news. Um, we talked about Dennis Schroeder leaving um, and how that might impact Shea's role. But also, I mean, if Dennis Schroeder is not available, that's going to hurt the Thunder. Um, they're not going to, you know, their best lineup this year by far. They're really only their only really good lineup this year. Um, is the three-point guard lineup with Schroeder, Chris Paul, and Shea. Like, so if they don't have him for a maybe all of the seeding games, like I, I see the Thunder maybe dropping in the standings. I think they're going to need they, – they need him to have any real success, in my opinion. Um, but that might not, be all, might not be all bad considering the pick situation with their top 20 protected pick, which is currently projected to convey to the Sixers – um, how do we feel about the about Dennis Schroeder leaving the bubble for the birth of a child? Is he being selfish, guys? Uh, no. Kendrick um, Perkins weighs in. Kendrick Perkins weighs in. Right, exactly. Uh, no. Um, uh, good for Dennis. I hope the NBA is able to do right by him in this situation. Um, at the same time, um, you know, his play has been really good this season. He's really been an elevating force in a lot of the Thunder's huge comeback victories. Um, I am interested to see how lineups shift, given that, like, one of the potential candidates for those minutes is um, Andre Robertson. Sorry. Andre Robertson potentially coming back. It's been back. so long. Right. Um, well, that that potentially changes the thunder in a lot of ways because you're replacing a small guard with a large wing. Um, you like that would be a big shakeup in terms of exactly what lineups look like, and I'm interested in that. Yeah, no, I think that everything we've heard from Andre Robertson has been or about Andre Robertson has been positive, um, and I think the best thing is that he hasn't said that he's a full go, so that's encouraging. Um, so, uh, no, I, I don't know. I saw a quote today that said that Billy Donovan was talking about his defense and they said that it wasn't where it's not where it was, but he thinks that it can be, it can get back to that point, which would be incredible. But just for the purposes of the bubble, 
Um, one thing I was listening to, to Zach Lowe, his podcast, he was talking to Royce Young um, recently, and he was talking about minutes as possibly the backup four in this situation because I would, you know, I think it's probably safe to say that Robertson's probably going to have lost at least half a step. Um, and so guarding bigger players might be more his speed, at least at this point. And if you can replace any minutes that Abdel Nader or yes. you know, even cut some of Darius Baisley's minutes um, to put a more experienced, you know, proven good basketball player on the court, um, that might do a lot for the Thunder in terms of just making them a better team for possible success in the bubble. Yeah, I, I think that would definitely be good for Robertson. That would potentially maximize what he could be if he comes back. Um, it's just interesting how much the game has changed, even in the time since Andre Robertson has been hurt. It's yeah. weird to think about him playing at the four. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, it's – I mean, shit, if he were on Houston, he would be a five. Yeah. You know, like they're – you know, and maybe, and maybe some, that's the best spot for him. Maybe so. Like, I mean, if you're playing Houston, maybe you've got to run him at the five. Maybe you have to run like a three point guard with Dort and Robertson or something weird. You know, like who freaking knows? I don't like it could be crazy, but I think the minutes will probably be more there for him as a as a big man than, you know, I don't think you want him playing the two, you know, like it's just. He's not that kind of player and really never was, but um, especially now where, you know, they like, you know, when he was playing the two before, it was because they had Westbrook and Durant and Paul George drawing defenders away from him. So it was just like, you're going to have open cutting lanes pretty much whenever, you know, so um, that's not going to be the case anymore um, with, you know, an offense that likes to move it around a little bit more um, than previous iterations. But I'm really excited. Like Andre Robertson had an argument for being the best defender in the NBA before he got hurt. Like he was a lot of people's front runner for defensive player of the year before he got hurt. And if he can come back and be 70% of that player for this run, um, then I think that that's a player that can help the thunder. And if he can somehow get back to being that player in the future, then you know, that's probably a guy that you want to keep around and have on a young team. He'll probably help develop wings defensively. Yeah, I'm just massively rooting for the guy. I'm nervous a little bit. I hope that playing him at the four and playing him in a bigger role, that'll maximize what he can be for this team because it's just a massively different uh, team construction since the last time he played. This team, like you said, it definitely is not built around what he used to do and I'm I'm very nervous that whenever he does come back the what the thunder were before the shutdown was like the maximum it, it was the maximum level the thunder could have been this year like they I legitimately believe the thunder reached their peak as a team this year like it was the best outcome they possibly could have had and there's the potential when we come back regardless of you know who's there like i think the thunder were are probably potentially not going to look as good as they did the entire regular season and i hope that that doesn't get blamed on andre robertson's presence being there yeah i 
I mean, that would be just silly if I, that I think were the case. I think it's a legitimate possibility, though. I mean, you know, no, not many fan bases are rational when it comes to things like that. If the Thunder take a step back, they are going to very surface level put together like what has changed and it's just the fact that he came back and he is now on the team and it's going to bring up everybody's old memories of he can't play offense and the team sucks when he's out there and they can't run anything and blah 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 and so i'm i'm a little nervous about that but i'm definitely rooting for the guy yeah no i i absolutely i mean just the amount of stuff that he has gone through i mean the dude literally hasn't played basketball in 30 months and you know i think that this is a guy that you know, most NBA players' identity is built around being a basketball player, and I think that not having that for 30 months is hard for anybody to handle. So I hope he's able to come back and be somewhat effective, you know, at least as a defender. So Yeah, um, and I just can't get over – I mean, he like he was like at the peak of his powers when his, this injury happened to him, and that just sucked so much yeah. for him. No, do like, you remember the day he got hurt? Is that, I, like, I I constantly, whenever I think about Dre, I relive it because yeah. like you and I were watching that game against the Pistons, and like we had both commented each that like he is making Tobias Harris look like an idiot. No, there was one where Tobias Harris literally pump faked like four times, and then tried to take the shot. Robertson didn't uh, jump on any of the fakes, and then he blocked his shot. In yeah. the paint, like it was, it was insane how good he was playing. So, um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, if we get to see that guy again, that would be really awesome. Um, do we have anything else that we want to want to cover? I'm good. If you guys are, yep, I'm I'm good. I've said my piece. Yeah, I think we're gonna call it. Um, so thanks everyone for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. You can subscribe um, via the Apple Podcast. <laughs> app the google play store or on podbean um if you've enjoyed the show share it with a friend um leave a review uh let us know um you can follow us on twitter at purd underscore happily that's p-u-r-d underscore h-a-p-l-e-y at not that sam davis and at rw maxi and we'll see you all again next week